0: Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today I'm privileged to have a very, very senior and successful individual from the development sector Nidhi Basin with me. Nidhi, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you Ashutosh.
0: Uh, Nidhi is the Deputy CEO of Concern India Foundation. So Nidhi, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career
1: Okay, so I think uh, I can start by around 25 years ago when I think all my friends and my peers were uh, looking at uh, probably doing their MBAs or so-called something more professional. Mm-hmm. I thought of doing something which would probably be more impactful and uh, probably where I'm able to reach out to the you know the lowest denominator in the society and uh, I thought of doing my social work at ed- post-graduation from Delhi School of Social Work and that was 25 years ago and there's no looking back and I'm as excited about being a part of this sector as what I was 25 years ago. So that was that was my first uh, biggest milestone, the second biggest and the most beautiful milestone was when my daughter was born 17 years ago. Wow, I think wow. that completely changed my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've learned so much with her and I've grown so much as a human being with her mm-hmm. and uh, of course, uh, adolescent years, so we struggle all the time. I hope I can survive it but it's been a beautiful journey with her and last and not the least is um, when about a few years ago, I became, I think, yeah, this youngest deputy CEO in Concern India Foundation and I was still in my 30s. Yeah. So I think for me, it was a very big motivator. So yeah, I think more of these three are my biggest milestones. Congratulations on
0: that achievement. That's fantastic.
1: Thank so let's you. talk about
0: the Concern India Foundation. Yeah. Tell me about the work you do at the foundation.
1: Okay, so yeah. Um, Conservative Foundation is actually a almost 30 years old organization mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we work across the country and the idea is to provide financial and non-financial support to grassroots organizations, organizations which work with passion and purpose mm-hmm. but are strapped yeah. for funds. Uh, so we help to not only we give them uh, financial support, but we also help to build their capacities. We work with them on their planning and the systems. The idea is that when we wean off and we are no longer supporting them, they should be able to sustain themselves, be self-reliant. And uh, we, in the last thirty years, have supported over thousand NGOs mm-hmm. uh, across the country. And uh, we basically work in three fields: that's education, health, and community development. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to help people help themselves and help them to live a life of dignity and self-reliance. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, when you do all this work, talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges you face.
1: Okay, so uh, I think in this sector, we are dealing with human lives yeah. and, uh, so, and human lives which are disadvantaged. So with every life comes a big challenge. So it's full of challenges, but if I really have to look at currently the key challenges out here... Um, I think it's in context to the donors because while donors nowadays expect you to give deliver international quality work
2: mm-hmm. but when it
1: comes to actually covering up the cost to deliver that work, mm-hmm. they expect us to probably work on a voluntary basis or they expect us to probably pay the lowest possible cost. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that I feel that most of the donors and corporates should actually realize that while they're paying for the services for let's say legal work or HR or financial services, they should also treat this work equally important and pay adequately and what happens is there is a spiral effect of this because the donor is not allowing us to spend that kind of money, we are not able to attract the best or the brightest quality people out here so resource becomes a very big problem and we are forever compromising so it's probably got a spiral downward effect out here. So I think that needs to be addressed, and yeah, that I would say is currently the biggest challenges.
0: And you know, when I was reading about you, uh, I found that you know you focus in the areas of education, health, and community development. Uh, tell me a little about each of these areas and what work you're doing, as well as what are some challenges you
2: face here.
1: Okay, so as far as uh, education goes, we believe in making education accessible to the socially and economically disadvantaged. Uh, This is both formal and non-formal education and uh, we work in rural, semi-rural, urban, tribal areas Mm -hmm. and sometimes we make make, tailor-make projects to suit the need of the community. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, challenges are there out here, continue to be there because uh, again, we are dealing with a certain community where education is not their priority. Mm -hmm. Probably livelihood is more of a priority and especially uh, we are very aware that a lot of them want to engage their children into work because they need to earn a livelihood out there. So dealing with those issues become a very big challenge. I think education and continuity of education because we are dealing with a lot of migrant workers mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. continuity is again a very very pro- big problem out here. Okay, uh,
2: okay. This,
1: the second thing that we are dealing with is health so we work on curative, preventive and rehabilitative health and uh, we work on adolescent, adolescent health, health for the uh, elderly, for children, for women, for you know people with special needs. So it's, it's across board and um, again um, Similar challenges, I think in all the sectors, there are similar challenges because need is something else, um, you know, and and making them realize that something, let's take example of adolescent health, while you may be able to convince a particular community why their children, especially girls, need to get educated. But uh, when it comes to adolescent health, they are not very, very open to that. So dealing with those problems, again, is uh, very, very challenging. And uh, the third issue that we deal is the community development. So we basically are trying to, wherever we work, we're trying to make the community self-reliant. We try and make kind of an impact, social and economic impact out there. So we deal on issues from livelihood to income generation, to natural resource management, to special needs. And um, I think especially in the community development area, the biggest challenge is the the funds, because while in education and health, sometimes you can see the results immediately. But if you are doing working on a natural resource management project, or you are working with farmers, uh, sometimes the result can take up to four to five years. So uh, dealing with that, convincing your donor about why they need to look at a long-term project mm-hmm. is um, again a big challenge out there.
0: Interesting. And you know, uh, Didi you say that you've been here doing work for thirty years you must have been tracking a lot of the people who have you know got sustenance nurtured and have been nurtured by you can you give me some in uh, examples of some amazing successes that have come from concern india foundation without giving names of course
1: sure sure so I think um, uh, right now, if I really talk about it, instead of talking about an individual story, mm-hmm. um, I think last one year showed us actually what our, how our work has impacted, especially in the field of education. So um, I think about three or four years back, we started talking a lot about um, technical education, digital education, while we were providing basic education in our NGO, with our NGO partners. But uh, we started emphasizing and spending a lot of resources on Ensuring that the digital education reaches these children. And I think that was a brilliant thing because when this pandemic happened last year, mm-hmm. um, most of our projects were able to continue in, in spite of the socioeconomic backgrounds they came from. And I can actually say, yes, very proudly say that more than 75% of our beneficiaries were able to access digital and virtual education in the last one year. Mm-hmm. So from how the rate has been, I think it was a brilliant rate. And um, uh, so so that I think is a, from my point of view, a, a very big success story that thousands of children were able to access education in the last one year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you talk about individual cases, so we do a lot of um, uh, higher education scholarship programs mm-hmm. uh, where we provide um, fees for their maybe engineering or maybe medical or hotel management and uh, we started this about five years back and in the last couple of years a lot of stories have started coming because they all have started being placed. Mm-hmm. So very recently one of the boys from Bangalore who was basically actually came from a story where he would study under a street lamp mm-hmm. and that's how he survived and uh, today, he's, he's actually he's finishing his last term right now, semester right now. He's already got an offer from one of the leading um, IT companies and he's going to start with I think a package of something like 12 lakhs a year and, and from actually not having fees to pay for his engineering to be able to earn that kind of money. Um, it was, it's again, a big motivator for us.
0: I can imagine and it says a lot first about the individual of course. But about all the support you have given him and i'm sure you know he will be an example for so many other children in the foundation isn't it i
2: hope
1: so yes um another example is again since we talk about three issues so i'll give you examples yeah. in all that's okay i'll give you examples in all three please issues. please yeah. give hmm so again I'm, I'm going to give you like a wider example where um, how in the in terms of health um again the pandemic started in march and how i our team quickly responded to that and by the first week of april 2020 uh, we were actually helping the government hospitals to build the infrastructure in terms of you know reaching out to people so we help a lot of hospitals with the icu units with the X-ray machine, ECG machines, monitors, everything, ambulances. Mm-hmm. And we did it. Uh, we worked in Delhi, Maharashtra, Karnataka, Telangana. And I think that, and the way the team worked for all of this. And, and I think in, in for us, it was one of the first few experiences dealing with the pandemic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so that that according to me is yes, the team was ready to deal with an emergency like that. And yeah, truly a success story for us there. Mm-hmm and this, um,
0: was, this is something which i would imagine is not just the team being ready but also having the courage to become a frontline worker
2: yeah and it.
1: i yeah and i think i think i'm i'm really um, um, not surprised, but I'm really motivated with the fact that each one in our team actually came forward. There was no Saturday, there was no Sunday. Of course, uh, it came from the support of the board because our board has to agree to do this. Correct. But uh, the teams actually got into the ground, started working on it, responded. And uh, yeah, yeah, so it's something. Fabulous.
0: And you're giving me the third example of community. Yes, of course,
1: <laughs> of course. So, um, um, Again, I think in terms of uh, we started working on natural resource management, water sustainability and farmer uh, groups about 10 years back and um, back then water was still an issue which people had just started talking about and I think in the last 10 years uh, we have been able to replicate a lot of our water programs uh, and which are basically to deal with less with the environment but more with farmers and their livelihood Mm -hmm. and uh, so because we are talking about water sustainability out here and um, I think uh, we have reached out in Maharashtra, Karnataka, Rajasthan, Orissa, uh, Telangana, Andhra Pradesh, uh, many states and um, I think in the last few years we reached out over 50,000 farmers Mm -hmm. and that for us is that, and now we have supporters coming to us and saying, "Okay, we want to replicate the same programs." Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so these are—I mean, when you look at a farmer where probably the farmer would be earning maybe three thousand or four thousand earlier, mm-hmm. but is able to probably triple his income—is uh, again something which we feel is been very, very impactful out there.
2: Interesting.
0: So you know, you must be getting a lot of people reaching out to you for support. How do you identify uh, and decide on who to support and who not to support?
1: Tough one. So uh, Ashutosh, actually we do not support individuals. Uh, As I mentioned to you earlier that we support grassroots organizations. Uh, But to identify these grassroots organizations, we have a full-fledged system in place. Uh, We have a very strong due diligence system where Mm -hmm. we vet each partner NGO Mm -hmm. and we ensure that they are a credible organization because end of the day, the donor is uh, kind of trusting us with their money and of course we see the passion out there, passion and purpose and what is their whole idea behind doing something, this uh, this kind of a project is very very important. So we, we kind of our teams get into the action, into action and we kind of work with them to figure out why we should support them but of course I think the biggest thing is passion.
0: Interesting, The Concern India Foundation has been there for 30 years. Tell me about what are the core values the organization believes in?
1: Okay, so of course, honesty, um, accountability, um, transparency, credibility and uh, sorry, commitment, integrity. So these are our core values.
2: Um,
1: And I think that is the reason I can again very proudly say that a lot of donors continue to trust us over so many years.
2: Interesting.
0: And you know, uh, I've often I've spoken to many many uh, people in the development sector and the social sector, and I've often wondered what is the difference in leadership style in uh, the development sector versus the the corporate sector. You know, uh, Mm. is is there any significant difference because you know you are a bunch a lot of volunteers. And seeking accountability for volunteers is a different challenge. Just wanted to know your thoughts.
1: Okay, so first, uh, we as an organization, we don't take volunteers. Oh, you don't? Uh, we don't take volunteers, but what we do a lot is uh, do a lot of corporate employee engagement work, which is basically corporate employee, uh, employees come and volunteer with us. Mm-hmm. But that's a very systematic kind of volunteering and that. The corporate keeps a tab about their commitment levels, uh, but as far as our team goes, um, I think we say that yeah, even if it's limited uh, payment to them, but it is all uh, they all are paid resources. Uh, but as far as comparing the corporate sector to uh, the NGO sector, I I don't think there's a different in leadership because end of the day uh, you know people need to be motivated right. and and, and uh, we all are working on certain deliverables so uh, our, our leadership needs to remain the same it has to be a very democratic form of leadership
2: mm-hmm.
1: and only when it's very democratic that you can actually convince people to take um, a sense of have a sense of ownership. And when you have a sense of ownership, the delivery is anyway very very different. Mm-hmm. So uh, even if I think uh, we as an organization don't take volunteers but I feel that even other angels who take volunteers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, it comes with a sense of ownership and the moment there is ownership, I think uh, there is delivery. It is there.
2: Very interesting. Yeah.
0: So one more question for you before I move to some uh, the next set of questions. This is the age of the millennials and the Gen Zs, and you know your daughter is a Gen Z. You're just telling me about her. Uh, And from what I have seen of the young people, I mean, you know, they are they're inheriting an earth that people like me are have messed up and are leaving behind. How are millennials and Gen Zs changing the development sector?
1: Um, I think as you're aware, this is the woke generation and um, I think they are very, very aware, uh, very conscious, uh, of course, thanks to the social media and they're very vocal. Um, I find them very, very passionate about whatever they believe in and they want to voice it. Uh, at a very young age, I see a lot of these kids wanting to uh, work for social du- social justice environmental sustainability, these are words which are very common to these people. Mm. The words that we learn much later Mm. and um, I see a lot of kids who have come forward even in Concern India Foundation, you know, donors children, our own team's children who have come forward and said that I want to do this or have raised money. In fact, my own daughter started raising money at the age of 12 and she's done about I think three or four fundraisers by now for disability, education and animal rights. And um, you know it's very motivating again to see all of them actually not hesitating in reaching out to the rest of the world to share with them that this is what they believe in and why somebody should donate to them. Correct. So, so I think I think we have a very responsible and a very vocal generation out here. Very
0: true. Very true. So, Nidhi, I'm now going to move to a few questions for you personally. I have time for maybe four or five questions. So, you know, you've spent. Two decades in the sector. You chose to be in this sector, as you said. You know, decided to do your social work uh, in education, education and social social work. From where you stand today, mm-hmm. and as you look back and as you look ahead, what does success mean to Nidhi?
1: Okay, so I think uh, the reason I joined the sector was basically uh, to have to impact other people's life and. When I go for one of our program visits and I see a smile on the beneficiary's face, whether it's a child or an elderly person or a woman, I think that is success. So when somebody comes and tells you that thanks to you, I mean Concern India Foundation, my life has changed uh, or I was able to do so much more is, is success for me.
0: Very nice and a follow-up question from that is that who or what inspires you?
1: Okay, so I think um, there's a lot that happens on a day-to-day basis that inspires me. But again, um, I think it's it's the motivation of other people uh, and the passion of other people. So when we look at our NGO partners, when we when we interact with them and we see with what kind of passion, we are still sitting in the office and only dispersing or raising money. They are out there working at the ground level. That really inspires me when they' you know they've left their careers behind or they left their families behind sometimes and really working towards making a difference in this world, that inspires me. My team when they work on a Saturday Sunday and because there's a deliv- deliverable and we have to do it, that inspires me. And when um, people like my own daughter who actually take a step forward and said, "I will do this to change this world, that inspires me
2: That's
0: wonderful. So time for two more questions. My next question to you is that if you Nidhi were a role model to millions of children who closely followed you and your life choices, what is the one thing you would change in yourself?
1: Changing myself. Okay. So um, I think um, I would say that the need to be open, the need to explore a little more, uh, the need to get out of your comfort zone. And uh, there's a lot happening outside, Hmm. and one needs to really be saying, "Okay, one can do this and one can do that," Hmm. and not really put restrictions on oneself. And and I think with the thing that if you are open, the world just accepts you. Very
0: interesting. And my last question, Q, is on is on failure. Um, For a long time, I have said that parents in India, South Asia, don't teach children it's okay to fail. you are always told, "I was taught." You know, we told our children, we come first in class, go ahead of the line. And that manifests itself in our behavior patterns, which includes uh, you know, three cars can come at a traffic light, but nine will come there because everyone wants to be first off the block and, and a car full of Indians will land and the person, the last row wants to get out, etc, etc. Et Yet we fail all the time. My question to you is, what have been some of your learnings from some of your mistakes?
1: Okay, I think uh, so like everybody else I have made my share of mistakes sure. and uh, and I think we make mistakes on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a single day that we don't make a, Absolutely. even if it's a minor mistake mm-hmm. and um, I think I've just learned to accept if I fail somewhere, if I made a mistake, I've just learned to accept it and analyze it mm-hmm. and take it in my stride. Uh, I think till about a few years back, I was I thought I would I can't fail, and every time there would be a big failure, it would just make me uh, you know a little go a little low, and then I realized no failure is a part of success also. You can't be successful in life without failing, and and I think I've just learned to you know. Take it in my stride. Learn from every mistake, every failure, and grow as a person. So there's no one big thing that I would say, okay, this happened and it changed my life.
2: Yeah.
1: But I'm I'm open to learning from everything. And and uh, uh, of course, um, of course, I have my boss who actually is the first person who always checks me about stuff. So I do I do get a lot of feedback and I learn from my mistakes when I when I did work. And personally, also, you know, you, you're you very aware about where you're going wrong. I think, as I mentioned to you, that having my daughter changed my life. And mm-hmm. I think as a parent, um, you kind of learn the most. Mm-hmm. You learn, you know, and, and, you know, we all firstly want to be perfect parents, and you realize there's nothing called perfect parenting. Mm-hmm. And and um, so I think with her, I learn again on a daily basis.
0: Didi, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I particularly enjoyed how many times you refer to your daughter and how fortunate she is to have a mother like you and vice versa. I mean, you know, uh, I, I love the way you spoke about how when your, your staff come to work on the Saturday Sunday that inspires you. I think it's, it's incredible. Thank you very much and it's been such a, an interesting experience having a chat with you.
1: Thank you Ashutosh, the pleasure is all mine
2: and thank you for having me on this chat.
0: Thank you so much.